0: afraid not podcast with jill mccormick and robin wall we believe that our stories matter and make us who we are every other week we invite guests to join us and share their stories even though our stories have knots, we are not afraid our stories are afraid they are not perfect
1: we believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger we hope that god uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in him Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, even
0: our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not podcast. You are listening to
1: episode number 93 with Elizabeth Martin, who happens to be a good friend of mine that I am so happy to reconnect with and have on, Afraid Not. Elizabeth and I met each other at OBU, Oklahoma Baptist University, when she was a freshman and I was a sophomore. That would have been in 1995. Nope edit that would have been in 1992 and we were friends in our education classes and we were fellow bow wearers I don't know if <laughs> any other listeners out there used to wear bows every well, single day of your if life from the 90s you know Elizabeth and I were in the bow culture we both wore lots of them and had many colors <laughs> anyway I dearly loved being around her we were in a social club together that we loved a lot Theta Sigma Chi. And um, in fact, in this episode, Elizabeth refers to one of the things we did during the little pledge season when Elizabeth was pledging and she talks about how I gave her a little project. And you'll hear that in, in in the episode. But I'm so delighted and grateful that Elizabeth came to talk with us today about a very heavy and hard topic that's really needed and is relevant to everyone who's ever been in a storm or you're going to be in one or you've been through one.
0: Elizabeth lost both her parents about 20 years, well, 20 years ago this month um, in an accident bridge collapse. And you'll hear that story and the grief she had to walk through with that. So it's a, it's a hard story, but she's got a lot of wisdom and a lot of things to tell us. So listen in. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi.
1: We're so thrilled that you said yes. (laughs) I'm excited to be here with you. So um, Elizabeth and I go all the way back to Oklahoma Baptist University days when she was a freshman and I was a sophomore at OBU's when we first became friends. And I'm so happy to reconnect today. I Mm -hmm. wish I could say we still were in touch all the time, but life is so busy and full and we just haven't. And so today is a great opportunity of reconnecting. Um, Mm -hmm. We'd love for you to start off our interview today with just introducing yourself to our listeners. Okay Um,
2: my name is Elizabeth Martin and I live in Norman Oklahoma and I grew up here in Norman. I lived in uh, or lived in DFW for about um oh 15 to 20 years and then moved back home um and I'm here and I am an educational consultant. I have my own staff development business. I train teachers and um you know, in the area of language arts, and I love that work. And I am blessed to get to travel and um, work with teachers a lot in Texas. My business is in Texas, so I'm on the road a lot. And um, I'm married, I have um, a wonderful husband, Jeff, who um, is definitely my best friend. And we have a four-year-old daughter which was um just a, I don't know, the Hail Mary pass of getting married at 40 and then having a baby at 43, like surprise. And so we have Charlie and she is um definitely just a light and a love and just just the biggest blessing you could imagine. So that's kind of our family
1: and who we are and whatever. So And I have to mention that your husband, Jeff, was Chris's roommate. At OBU, yes. When, yes. when Chris transferred, he was a junior, transferring in at, to OBU, and he lived in um, the dorm that's now called AG, or is it, is it called Brotherhood? Whatever. I don't know
0: Brotherhood now. Yeah.
1: Brotherhood now, or whatever. whatever. I don't know. Used to be. Used to be Brotherhood. It to be Brotherhood now it's AG. Whatever. Yeah. So whatever it was then, he lived in that dorm with Jeff Cox, and they had a fun, fun time. I think just for one semester. Yes, because Jeff. Left, but he says
2: that he that Chris had pictures of Robin all over the room, and Jeff had (laughs) pictures of Larry Bird, and that it was like the funniest thing because Jeff was obsessed or is obsessed with Larry Bird to this day. So, did you know each other at OBU We did not. No, no, no. It was a just a mutual friend from OBU who set us up, and it was just done. It was already done, you know. So it's kind of weird. Yeah.
1: Well, I would actually, I would love to hear that story. Do you mind telling us the story? Like, what was your, when you came for a date? Was it just like an instant, oh, we're, this is going to work. Let's get married? Or no,
2: uh, I think we both knew before. Well, we didn't really know before the date, but it was so it was Chrissy, our friend Chrissy and Val. Oh, tried to set me up with him and I was kind of not in, and I wasn't sure about him, just whatever. And I was kind of not sure. And I told them that I had been praying for someone who was ambitious. This is really terrible. I don't know if I want you to put this on there, but <laughs> <laughs> and not because Jeff isn't ambitious, ambitious, but because I wanted a businessman because I have my own business and I'm, I, I'm a teacher, but I needed someone who was business minded to understand that I was going to be gone, that I'm traveling, that I'm running a business. So I've been praying for someone who was ambitious and not really about, it wasn't a money prayer. Like, you know, it really was just about ambition. And so Chrissy looks at me and says, well, he's ambitious in the Lord and there is no greater ambition than that. Mm -hmm. And I immediately was like, I'll go out with him. I'm so sorry. You're right. Like I was just done. And then he and I um, started talking on the phone pretty regularly um, all the time, all the time. And I had told him I wouldn't, this was like the end of May. And I told him I would go out with him at 4th of July. And by 4th of July, we knew we were getting married. Like it was just like that. So it was just a really, you know, timely, exciting, you know, God was so in the mess of it all. I mean, it was just, I don't know. It was crazy.
1: I love it. And I'm also curious what's the name of your education consultant business that you have. Oh, I don't
2: really have a name. Is that weird? Like
1: it's just Elizabeth Martin. I mean, it's
2: just me. I mean, it's just yeah.
0: Okay. No, well, uh, yeah. Like if people, if teachers wanted to get a hold of you, what would they go through? Oh, you could go to
2: literacymix.com. Um, my business partner, a, a girl, I do stuff with in the summer. Becky Kessel and I um, offer workshops there in the summer. Um, so you could look
1: there. But yeah,
2: not really, not really. I don't really advertise.
1: So true, though, that you teach teachers. That's awesome. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Well, we're both in education, so we're both very. I mean, I mean, Elizabeth, you and I had our classes together. I know. I had
2: foundations of education with Dr. Lyles with you.
1: Yes. Remember that? Yeah. He was a funny guy.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) Okay. So we would love to hear your story, which has a lot of emotion in it. And I just value the fact that you're willing to share a time that is, um, really a time of grief in your life. And I, um, I just, my prayer is that God will use this story to help people that are walking through something that's really hard and that um, whatever you share might be something they need to hear today. So please just, uh, we'd love for you to just take the floor and share us what, what you will.
2: Okay. Um. So when, okay, I guess like when I was 28, so I'm 48 now, so just about 20 years ago, um, my parents were um, driving from Oklahoma City to Arkansas to see some of my dad's cousins, and they were um, tragically um, lost their lives in a bridge collapse. And um, the bridge was struck by a barge on the Arkansas River, and um, my parents were one of like or two of 13 people who, uh, lost their life that day. And it was, um, you know, a terrible accident and, um, and definitely something that, um, changed our lives forever. And I know my sister and I were both still, obviously I was single. My sister was still single and we were, um, in many ways still connected in that family of origin because neither one of us had branched out. So I think, and I do think that's a great miracle. I think that that, um, you know, we don't ever know why God has us where we where. but I certainly at 28 thought I should be married by then. And I was definitely unhappy with not being married. And um, I think now looking back on that, I know that I don't think I could have gotten healthy quickly uh, in the grief that I went through because it was such a tremendous loss and that isn't everyone's truth, but that is my truth. And I know my sister married pretty quick. It wasn't very long that my sister got married, but we both, um, were, you know, pretty connected to our parents. As a matter of fact, my mom and dad, I was living in, um, Dallas at the time and my parents had come down to Dallas on Friday night. And I would sort of say that I always call them fix it parents, but it really doesn't do them justice because they were a lot more than that. I mean, they were just wonderful people, but my mom had helped me do laundry and, um, you know, my dad had taken my car to be serviced on Saturday and we spent this like day, this last day before they passed together. And my sister was living in Norman at the time and she'd been doing travel nursing, but when the, um you know, the tragedy of 9-11 happened. She decided to come home from California. So she had bought a house in Norman and was here with my parents and was spending a lot of quality time with them. And so that was another beautiful thing that my parents had come to see me, you know, prior to their, um, death, but, um, I spent the day with them and then ended up this is all just kind of not important, but I rode back to to Oklahoma with them. So I was here with my sister as those events sort of unraveled. But, um, I had a friend who was going to take me back to Dallas, but that didn't come to pass. But so I lost my parents in that bridge collapse.
1: Were you with your sister when you found out?
2: Well, so she was going to take me back to Dallas. So, um, I had, I didn't have my car. So Melissa came and got me and we went to her house and we were just watching TV and a, a thing, like a ticker came across the television that uh, like we grilled out. It was like the weirdest thing. Like we grilled chicken and we're like eating lunch. We had been watching this really sad movie and we had just turned it off. And a little ticker was running across the TV that the bridge collapsed. And um, she asked me, you know, did you, you know, do you, do you think mom and dad and I was like, no. No, I don't think so. Don't be crazy. Well, the thing that was so crazy was that the night before my mom had a sore throat and she was just saying like, I have a sore throat. I don't really um, feel good. And she, of course, I said, well, don't go with daddy. Just stay home with me. Please stay home. Cause I'm just here. You know, it was Memorial day. So I had Sunday and Monday off. So I was just home at that point. And I was really exhausted because it, and it was the only year in all my teaching that all my report cards and my grade book was completely done when I left school on Friday, which was a blessing because I had a week of school that I didn't attend. Like I didn't go back to school. So, um, my sister and I were just at her house watching TV. And then we ended up calling the Norman chief of police um, and asking him what he thought. And that was something too that I think is so weird is that the people that knew my parents, that anyone we called that like knew our, our parents, they knew in, they knew instantly, like their gut, they just knew like I'm sure they'll be fine. No, 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 no. People knew. And um, my mom, oh, this was gonna tell you. So my mom woke me up at like 5 30 that morning just it, which didn't make sense that she woke me up, but she came in my room and she opened my door and she was like, Hey, we're leaving. I wanted to let you know it's five thirty, And I was like, okay. But that it meant that we knew exactly where they were or where they would have wow. been. So we had that timeline. So that was another thing that happened. That was just kind of, it was weird, you know, because you know, if you know, like you're, you know, I just, you know, you think about your big kids right now coming home from college and you're like, she's exhausted. She needs to sleep. And I wasn't even in college, but I was tired. I mean, I, they came to Dallas to help me because I was like hanging by thread, you know, that kind of like I too much going on. And, um, my mom still woke me. So I think that was really, um, you know, part of that, you know, peace or whatever. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So then I was with Melissa all week, at my parents' house. And then, you know, they, she was, we were together pretty much that whole time. So it's
1: crazy. They also have their home? No no, no,
2: no, 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 no. Oh my gosh. We kept it for, um, well, it took us two years probably to clean it out because, Neither of us were living there, and you would go like in the laundry room and find the Easter baskets and lose your mind. And then it would just take. I mean, you know, they had lived there for since I well, my sister was in that house when she started kindergarten, so it was like that's enough. I always tell my friends, like, clean out a drawer. You love your kids, clean out a drawer. Just like go get rid of your junk. You know, I don't, my parents weren't <laughs> pack rats or anything, but like if you love your kids, clean out your stuff. I didn't keep a lot. My sister kept a lot more than I did, and then. We had this big garage sale, and we were going to sell all this stuff. And I like drove home to get this ceramic basket of eggs my mom made. <laughs> like, you know, like it's just like random things that you're like, oh, I really, really want that. You know, I don't know, but didn't keep a lot. But that 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 whole process was horrible. I mean, it was horrible. I guess what I want to share today is really the story um, of uh, you know just sort of the grief and the loss that. I walked through and I would just sort of say like, it was terribly hard. And I can't tell you how many countless people have said things to me. Like, I don't know how you even got out of bed. I don't know how you're not just curled up in a ball. And uh, I can say with all honesty that we were, you know, we really truly were for a little bit, you know, um, for just a little while. But the truth is, um, my parents did some things, um, in the raising of my sister and I that set us on a course to be, to be okay. And that was really uh, making sure that we uh, were in relationship with Christ. And I think that it was my walk with the Lord that really ultimately was the thing that saved us. And, um, you know, I think, or not us, me, you know, and Melissa too, in her own, her own journey, but, you know, um, as a Christian, I think and one of the things I know you talked to me about before we, you know, got on here today was, what are some of the pillars of your faith? And I was a little nervous about this um, question because not because that they aren't my pillars, just that they're really simple. And one of them is that my mom and dad had me in church every time the doors were open. And I know there is a lot of people, a lot of Christians who. Um, especially now I think church culture's changing and we we have a lot of people who, you know, don't think that it's as valuable as, as it truly is, but being a part of a community and a body of believers absolutely um was not only a huge important part of I think surviving such loss is to have that community sort of come in and be close, but it's the relationships that had been built through my childhood. That still carrying me even to this day, you know? Um, so that is one thing. And then the other thing would be scripture memory. And I know that this is weird because I am no, um, you know, like, I don't know tons of scripture, but I know quite a bit. And Robin actually in college, I don't know if you remember this, but when I was a freshman, you made me memorize Isaiah 41, 10. Oh. And, um, I am telling you that that is probably one of my life verses. Like, I think that that verse in and of itself
0: is probably like an anchor for me, period. So, um, Mm. you know, what's interesting is that verse has come up so much, especially recently. Like, I can't even tell you, like, it's so weird. That verse comes up almost every episode that I mean, so
1: when I'm going to tell the listeners what it says, just, okay, yeah. what is that verse? It says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand Isaiah a yes. yes. It is an anchor, isn't it? Oh. It
2: is. Yeah. So, um, and I would say that like, I think in the worst grief, and I really, this part is so hard to talk about. I can talk about my mom and dad and not get teary. But when I talk about the grief and the real sadness, it's the hardest. But um, in the hardest times of grief, I can remember just laying on my bed and imagining that I was in the Lord's hand and that would be the one thing that was sort of just give me rest and peace in that time. And, um, so that was a real, uh, like, it's such a simple literal thing. Um, but that was something that really, really, uh, carried me in a time that was extremely difficult and, um, funny enough. Um, well, I don't know if I would say funny, but another thing that helped me a lot in the grief was, um, The analogy that grief is like, a spiral staircase. And this was something that I had never heard before. And I feel like when I share it with my friends as they're experiencing grief, that they don't necessarily haven't heard it themselves. But it's the idea that I think, you know, you hear about the stages of grief and people think of that in a a linear manner and it's not linear at all. It's actually circular. So you're just like kind of walking in circles and the circles get wider and wider, you know, like the, so the the overwhelming, you know, sorrow or, um, you know, just the disbelief or whatever, those kinds of things aren't there all the time, you know, but every once in a while I will, um, you know, experience a kind of grief or sadness that I didn't see coming or I didn't expect it. And I, for a long time was really hard on myself about that. Cause I would think like, suck it up, you know, suck it up, buttercup, you're fine. You know? And, um, really kind of understanding that grief is something that will be with me, I think for the rest of my life that I will always grieve my mom and dad. And just the other day I was at, um, my, uh, church I grew up in offers gymnastics and I took Charlie. And my mom actually worked at the Family Life Center at First Baptist in Norman. And I was sitting in the bleachers in the, in the gymnasium watching Charlie do gymnastics and had to have a moment to pull myself together because all of a sudden I was just like, where is my mom? You know, and it's, it's part of, you know, life. It's just part of our life. So I would say like that is something that, you know, I really kind of had to deal with how that you know, rides with me. I can say, um, rides with me. I, I can say too, like, this is the first last Sunday was the first time in 20 years that I had been to church on mother's day. Um, wow. Wow. I just had not gone. I just kind of refused on mother's and father's day. I just found it to be more emotionally responsible for me to protect myself Yeah. yeah. than to go and get upset. But, um, Mm-hmm. I I definitely think and that is something too that you kind of learn is that you're responsible for some of that and to take some responsibility and not let it
1: happen to you um I think and you I don't. You, that you're not apologizing for that that you're saying I have a responsibility mm-hmm. to care for my heart and I yeah. cannot just throw it out here it's it's so wise that you looked at that and thought for these years you know I need to not go to church today. This is what I have to protect my heart. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in that.
0: Yeah. We have to take care of our mental health. And I'm glad that you brought up the spiral staircase. I mean, just because I'm in the counseling world, I know I knew Mm -hmm. that, but I do think people think they, most people have heard the five stages of grief and they think, okay, I've been through denial. Check. (laughs) anger, Check onto the next thing and that's
1: not how it works because they all go back around don't
0: they yes and I was in counseling for probably six
2: years with a wonderful lady in um, Keller Texas and she I kept asking her I would say Carolyn when is this going to be over is there anything I can do to like speed this up and she would just look at me and just shake her head and say I'm so sorry because I I um Definitely. And one of those people like, give me the list. I'll do the list and we'll have it done. You know, I really wanted that for myself. And you can see as I'm crying today that it is never going to not be with me. But the wonderful thing is all the ways that the Lord has used. Um, well, yes, used what's happened to teach me and draw me near to him. And I can truly tell you like some of the craziest things that I've, I've done some really crazy things because of what happened that I never really ever imagined I would do. Um, and so one of those things is that, um, when mom and dad died, I just kept thinking about myself, um, as a tightrope walker, And this is such a weird analogy, but I feel like, um, it was just something that the Lord sort of, gave me, but I kept thinking of myself as a tightrope walker. And originally I just kept thinking like, it's just that my net is gone, but my net is gone. And I don't really know when it happened, but I finally kind of realized that the net had never left, but the trainers that God had push- positioned in my life were gone, but that the net, that the Lord was there and that I would be able to do anything that you know was in front of me that he put before me um with him and that that i didn't necessarily need um my parents physical presence and although i mean i would give my eye teeth um to have them of course i had to figure out ways to carry on you know and so um the tightrope analogy really became this thing that i couldn't I, in a way i couldn't quit thinking about and I ended up going to, and this is so so strange and weird, but I, and it really was an act of obedience. I felt like the Lord just pressed on me. And I ended up going to tiger walking school out in San Francisco. I called my baby cousin, Sarah, who is now um, a lawyer. She was like 14 at the time. And I was like, you know, uh, in my late twenties. And I was like, Hey, do you think your mom and dad will let you go with me? And she was like, I don't know, but I want to go. So, uh, she of course got all of her work done and missed school for like a week. And we went out to San Francisco and I took tightrope walking lessons with my cousin. And, um, it was like this kind of, I don't know, it wasn't like circus school, but when I would tell my friends, I remember telling our friend, Wendy, I went to circus school and she just started dying laughing. You did what? <laughs> you know, uh, but we, we went, um, with my cousin, Sarah, and I went and, um, What was really amazing was that the Lord taught me so much through that experience. So one of the first things that they teach you when you get on a tightrope is that you need to put your hands up. And I think in our minds you think you're going to put them out like you're trying to keep your balance, you know, and it was really to keep your hands up above your head. And that's how you would have better balance. Well, when I step back and step back from all of I was le- learned at tightrope walking school, I really equated that to having like a heart of praise that when I'm walking um, and things seem hard or weird or whatever, if I have my heart right and I am praising the Lord and have a grateful spirit, um, everything is more balanced. And that for sure is true for me is that my balance in my own life um really is dependent on my ability to um look at the lord and be grateful for all the ways that he's blessed me and and so that was one of the things that just randomly like it was weird so another thing was um and i can't remember why i think he gave me a bunch of like imagine like these big plastic bowling pins and i i had 3 of them in my arms and tried to walk on the tightrope and i absolutely could not move because I couldn't see my feet. And it just was such a symbol for idolatry and whatever I would put in front of me. And I am a girl's girl. And I just want you to know, I could go to Nordstrom and try to fill my love tank 50 times, you know, and it still would be not good. So, um, at the time I definitely think that was something I had been trying to do in my own life was putting, um, You know, whether it be shoes or clothes or jewelry or food or, friends, even, you know, even going to dinner with friends could actually serve as an idol. And, um, I had all of those things sort of in front of where the Lord was moving me. And I really learned that if I wanted to walk with him, that I truly had to put that stuff down. Kelly, um, Kelly mentor has a great book about idols and I think it's called no other gods. I can't remember. It might be no, yeah, it's no other God um God's plural Kelly mentor and I absolutely loved that book um but that book came sort of after I had for me it came after I had um really figured out this analogy so it's kind of a weird cool read afterward um and then the other thing was really this idea of where we fix our eyes and that when you're walking on that tightrope, that your eyes can't be at the other end that they really need to be and you know there's so many great things with, you know, the word being a light unto your feet, um, and, uh, and a lamp to your path, but really that you just, just enough light for the step we're on, you know, I mean, like that whole idea and truly that is true on the tightrope. So it was really this weird, um, super cool analogy of how this, the tightrope really became something for me. And I pulled out some of my, um, journals and in preparation for talking to you today. And one of the um, things I noticed throughout one of my journals is that the tightrope walker is literally sketched in the edges of my journal, hands up, you know, in one place sketched, you know, just looking down at my feet. I mean, just like weird, like just little stick people, like all across my journals, because I feel like the Lord really, I think it it just such a testimony to how, how much he loves us, that he loved me enough to give me that tiny little bit of, you know what I mean? It's such a small thing that really, I truly believe changed the way that I interacted even with the Lord and standing firm in my faith. um, You know uh, I just, that was a big deal. And I know, you know, like that's something that really over and over again um, I felt like I really truly needed um, to just keep moving. So I know it sounds a little crazy. I love it. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) So weird. Like, Oh, so your parents died and you went to circus school. Yeah. That's what happened. (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) Were there other things that you did too? You said there's a couple of things that you did that you wouldn't have normally done. Um, well, I mean,
2: no, I don't know. I don't know. Not, not really anything. This, this is probably the most outland and outlandish. Um, I definitely, I mean, I think even just buying a plane ticket to San Francisco is
0: a little weird. Like, what are we doing? Okay. We're going to San Fran. Let's go. Um, mm-hmm. Are you normally pretty impulsive or was that kind of different for you?
2: No. And it wasn't an impulsive decision. I mean, it was pretty thought out. Yeah. Um, I just decided I felt at the time I felt really called to write and um, I ended up I went, I did all that. And then I was in a Christian writers club and I wrote with some other gals. Um, there was a lady, Victoria Rogers in Dallas that, um, kind of had headed that up with me and I did not, I'll be honest. I don't, I, I, there is no part of me that wants to write a book, like no part of me at this time in my life. But I feel like that was the Lord's prompting at that time. And it was really more, I, and and for me, I can truly say like, this is something that the Lord, um, was, he was working in me, you know, he was working in me and he was, he was working on me. And, uh, you know, it was just the promptings in my opinion of the Holy spirit to just help me find healing. And, um, a friend of mine reminded me about how children to learn need to discover things on their own. And we want to set up those kinds of opportunities. And I thought it just, it was such a good reminder that the Holy spirit did that for me, you know, like for me to be able to discover, uh, God's, you know, true love for me. And there's, um, so many things. And I would, I would even say like, there's a quote from Louis Giglio's book, the air I breathe worship as a way of life that has, um, it's just stuck with me and I don't like quote it. I I'm going to read it to you, but, um, It's every last one of us has been created with a searching soul designed that way by God. So we would find no rest until we find our rest in him. And for me, that was such a big deal in the healing process is to understand that, um, I would not, you know, I would not be okay without, without the Lord and, and without, you know, um, really just kind of understanding that he is going before me. I mean, there were, there were so many things that were, that happened. I did a Bible study. I don't know if you remember this old Bible study. It was called falling in love with Jesus. It's Dee Bresden and Kathy Tricoli wrote it together. This is like 20, 21 years ago. I did this Bible study. Well, in the Bible study, Kathy Tricoli, who was a Christian singer, um, is shares the story of losing her parents. um, and she didn't lose them together. She lost, I think, both to cancer. And I'm, I could be telling her story slightly wrong because it's not, you know, like committed to memory. But she essentially lost both of her parents. Well, I did that Bible study the spring before my parents died. Oh, well, wow. and and it was not, um, it didn't, and I was doing it because it was more. It was about about falling in love with Jesus. It wasn't really about her personal, you know, story. But it was right. So. I, for me, that Bible study, what I remember is I can remember thinking about Kathy Tricoli a lot after mom and dad died and thinking about how, you know, it just was such a, it was, it just shows how, you know, gracious and sovereign the Lord is that the things that are in our path that prepare us for what's ahead, even when we don't know, you know, and, um, and just how he goes before us. So that was something that was pretty amazing. And, um, and definitely, I think it was, um, you know, just, I mean, it was a big deal. It was, it was very helpful. And, um, one of the things, Kathy trickle has a book called, am I not still God? And she actually talks about a moment where she had to you know, where she's just, you know, in devastation, uh, and she felt like the Lord said that very clearly to her, am I still not God, you know? So like that, even in our greatest loss, you know, we are able to really lean in and, you know, uh, that, that's the one thing. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really think I said what I totally wanted to say before about, um, the pillars of my faith, but I would sort of say, I would say it's things like scripture memory. And I wanted to talk about that. My sister has this memory and it's my sister's memory, not mine, but she says she can hear my mom saying to her, Melissa, what's John 10, 10. And it's, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I don't remember my mom saying that to me, but it's this idea that we are, you know, here, you know, we are here for just this little while before we're, we're with him, but we are called to, you know, glorify him and to, um, really exude his love. And I had to, at a certain point in that grief, choose to stand firm in my faith and get up and move on. And it was not, it's, you know, it would not have honored my parents not to. And I think, you know, and I can say that, now because I'm 20 years out from that loss, but there truly was a time and it wasn't in six months and it wasn't in a year. It probably was a couple years before I really was able to say, you know what? I got to move. I got to move. I got to get up. I got to move, you know? And, um, but I don't know. I was thinking about how grief is, you know, it's it, it can really, you know, a broken heart can really enslave us. And it just, it's that like Galatians five one says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. And I think for me, it's this choice to choose to walk with a grateful heart for all the wonderful things that I have been given um, regarding my parents and not just my parents, but my family um, and to live and to live in that place. Uh, cause I mean, it, it could have been pretty, I mean, it was pretty debilitating as it was, you know? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so. and being 28 years old and then single at the same yeah. time, and it took a while before you found your husband. So you were kind of on your own for all of mm-hmm. life. Oh yeah, absolutely.
2: And I, um, within a couple of years is when I left, uh, from when parent, my parents passed is when I left the classroom. So that also changed the way that I was interacting with the world because I had been going, you know, when you teach school, you, your teammates are your people, right? Like it's your, whether you love them or not, they're your people. And, um, I left teaching essentially to do contract work. And, um, that, put me again in a place where I really had to figure out how to be alone, you know, and, and, and to understand that I wasn't alone and, and to work that out, you know, and I just, so that, you know, that was definitely a part
1: of it. Were you able to find a church community that helped you through this time? Um, kind of, I would not say yes.
2: that if I'm being really honest. And I, and this is something that I, um, I really think is a big issue in, um, church culture right now. And I don't, this is just my perspective and my experience and the choices I made affected that, but I was going, um, off and on to fellowship church, which was a huge, big old church down in um, the DFW area, but I was not connected because of my travel schedule. I wasn't allowed, like I would be able to do a Bible study and I would miss half the sessions or, you know, because I'd have to travel. So I wasn't able to connect with, you know, um, and so that was a real struggle. I did, and this is just the Lord. Um, I did become friends with the pastor's wife at First Baptist Church, Louisville. And, and it was just kind of random. And she sort of poured into my life and really just became my friend. But it wasn't, um, I, I, I can say to you, I was not, you know, part of community. And part of, um, that's been something that I grew up steeped in church community And, um, I would say, as I went to Dallas and I was by myself and I was single, and I think it's even more difficult when you're single because you don't have the pull of, I mean, right now with Jeff and Charlie, we're like, we got to get her to Sunday school. We got to get her to Sunday school. You know, like there are so many things that, um, you know, that drive you in a different way when you have family, but my singleness affected that. Um, and I can, I'm not, I'm not really ashamed. I mean, it's a little embarrassing, but it's just the truth of what um, that time was like. And then um, in addition to that, I think that was one of the things that when Jeff and I made the decision for me to move back to Oklahoma and we got married, I was totally all about it because of community. I knew that If I came out of that big city culture and, you know, I had friends scattered all over DFW that I saw all the time. So that again, I mean, or, and this is all cheesy, but getting your hair done in Dallas and then you're, you know, you go over here to this doctor and over here to that doctor. Where like when you live in Norman, Oklahoma and all your people are there, you have community. It's just very different. So I, that was definitely one of the biggest struggles for me at that time. And my church community from first Baptist was so amazing when mom and dad died. And this is one of the things I'll never forget this. Our neighbor down the street, there were so many people at our house. It was just like, it looked like, you know, like a five day long party was going on. There were just cars everywhere. People just coming to see Melissa and I, and all of that. Well, our neighbors down the street came, the mom came and she was like, I don't know who all these people are, but they need to leave you alone. They need to go. And I was like, no, there are family, like, you don't understand. I mean, like these are, no, they're here. They're fine. And that really, it's like something that really stuck out to me because um, she didn't understand what being part of church community really looks like and what it's like to be carried. There are still people from that church. And I'm going to say this lady's name and feel really good about it. There's a lady named Donna Queen who, I was never particularly close to, I don't know that my sister was, but she was the hands and feet of Jesus for my sister and I Mm -hmm. that week. She was like, just there serving us and loving us. And I, to this day, count her a hero. Like I just, you know, she was just somebody who was there and just present and loving and just generously giving her time.
1: Wow. Um,
0: So I I do think it sounds like it reminds me kind of like, shiva like jewish people sitting shiva for the day after death and then people come and stay with them yeah well i mean it was kind of like that it was really weird it wasn't it wasn't the whole
2: you know time of course and a part of the way that tragedy rolled out was my parents bodies were they the bridge collapsed on sunday morning like around 8 a.m and they did not find my parents bodies till um tuesday so we had like a very long time where everyone was just waiting. And my dad was a um, police officer and a scuba diver and on the SWAT team. So there was um, at the time, so this is kind of a fun fact. uh, My dad had a pager and I don't think he, he did have a cell phone, but I kept trying to page my dad. And when I called the highway patrol, they told me that around the river, um, it was a dead zone. and they kept saying, like, your dad and mom could literally be sitting on the bank. Like, you know, like they don't give up hope. So that, I, I think we re- I really personally feel like around two o'clock that morning that when they had not made it home is when I knew like they're they're gone. Um, but it it was a long haul until they actually, you know, were able to recover their bodies and, you know, let us know that they had been found and all of that. So that that was part of why I think that it happened that way. Um, the night that our aunts and uncles and cousins all came to town, we didn't have the funeral to like Friday, but like the night that all of the family came to town, um, a guy from our church literally sat in a lawn chair in the middle of our cul-de-sac with a sign that said, no fam, no visitors, just family, because that's how much people <laughs> were coming. So he just said, I'll just take care of it. And so he sat in a, in a lawn chair, but that to me, that, you know, when I, I believe that, um, the way my parents chose stories, my sister and I in that church and being a part of that community absolutely speaks volumes, um, in a part of who I am today. And those people, not just pouring into us in a terrible time, but pouring into us Sunday after Sunday and sharing their stories and sharing, you know, the, the love of Christ with Melissa and I both, you know, that is a, that's an, an, un, I mean, it's a gift. I mean, it's how blessed, how blessed are we that we were given that? And I know that's not everyone's story, but that's my story, you know? And, um, and I would even say the other pillar would be for me is that scripture memory. So I would say both church community and scripture memory. And, and for me right now, I kind of want to say this to you in the most like, uh, clear way, I think it can be knowing three or four verses really well, that really like Isaiah forty one ten, Robin, you have no idea, you know, what that did for me. But it's that idea that if I invest my time and energy in those, then I am able to it, it rings out for me, the truth of the gospel, because I've, it's, I've hidden that word in my heart. You know, um, there's a verse, uh, my heart is stirred by a noble theme. As I recite my verses for the King, my tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. And I don't know where it is. I think it's in Psalms, but, um, I don't know. I think it's in Psalms. Um, but you know, actually our friend Carrie Doe taught me that verse. She was like, you got to learn this word verse. And, um, so those are some of the things, um, but you know, as far as walking with the Lord, I feel like the Bible's pretty clear about it. And it really lines up with the tightrope. It's this idea that you set your eyes first on me and that's Deuteronomy 429. And I will direct your paths. Proverbs three, five, and six, let nothing be more important to you than me. Mark 12, 28 through 31. I am the peace and the love that you're looking for Psalms 29, 11, and I am your creator. And therefore I know your needs better than you could know yourself. And that would be like Psalms 139, 13 and Philippians 4, 19. And so those were some of the things that like, for me as I tried to move forward after losing my mom and dad, it just, is pretty simple. It's just, it's really simple that if I just, um, really allow myself to rest in the love of the Lord that I can move forward. And, um, and there is one other thing I want to share. Um, and Thessalonians, when Paul is, um, just writing to the people at the church, he actually talked to the church in Thessalonica. He says, um, that we are basically asking God to let us see you again, to fill in the gaps of your faith. And that phrase to fill in the gaps of your faith has meant so much to me because I realized that the places where I had unbelief, um, I think, you know, um, a friend of mine asked me today, when you went through all of that, Elizabeth, did you get mad? And I was like, no, I wasn't mad at God. I didn't, I didn't go through that. I just, and maybe my anger came out crooked, but it just didn't come out like that. And, um, but I can say that for me to truly rest in the, in the peace of Christ and the love of Christ, it it's work. It's work. It's saying, I I am not. I am not going to go and try to make it better with this or that. I'm going to trust you to heal me. And I think you know um, that the you know when the Holy Spirit is is tugging at us, it's really easy to push that away. And so for me, that was something that I really worked on is the idea of um, really praying to fill in those gaps where I had you know questions or wondered if I had been forgotten or if he didn't see me. And so I think that's definitely one that really, that idea that he will do that for you is pretty awesome. So, Mm -hmm.
0: so what would you say to somebody that's going through something where they feel like, do you see me? I would definitely, I mean, I would get myself to the
2: Psalms probably more than anything, but I think the big thing for me when I I definitely, about 10 years ago, went through a season where I would really, really it was probably more like 11 years ago, I was really struggling. And I remember, this is so weird, but I listened to, Christy Knuckles has a song. I need to find you the title. But I literally, every morning, every morning before my feet hit the floor, I listened to that song. So, but I guess for me, the big thing was really to rest in his love and to figure out what that looks like. And if it means walking every day, if it means a form of self-care, which is such a word right now. um, But if it's, if it means walking every day and just really saying, this is not a time for me to walk and think about what I'm going to do tomorrow or how I'm going to make my checklist of all the stuff I have to do. It's a time for me to really um, allow the Lord to love me and to pray to, to see it. I think the thing is, is that, um, I think a lot of times when we think that way, we're not, we don't ask. And I know that sounds a little weird. We're too busy. Um, well, not everyone. I mean, everybody's different, but for me, when I'm down, I'm not asking for the help. You know what I'm saying? i am more just like, and I don't have this and I'll have that, you know, like, and that was something, um, even in my grief with my mom is that every time I felt like I needed help, you know, the first thing I would normally do is call my mom. Right. So, um, when I was grieving and I needed help with something, then I would couldn't call my mom. And so why problems now just got 10 times bigger because not only do I have a problem I can't solve, but now I don't have my mom to help me. Um, and so I had to really train myself, you know, to say, what would mom do? I'm going to do that, you know, first, you know, those kinds of things that I had to choose. So I think whatever it is that, you know, that, you know, is going to give you comfort. But sometimes I think in this, I think sometimes if you don't know the Bible well and you, you know, think you're just going to go open the Bible and bam, it can be really overwhelming. So I think, you know, that would be something too, that you might, you know, be asking, you know, the people in your life that, um, you know, know the word to, you know, give you that guidance and that support. Like, you know, I don't know. I really, 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 um, would say scripture memory is a huge, I mean, a huge thing. And I'm not really, um, like into yoga or mantras or anything, but um, one of the strategies that will tell um, kids when they are pushing themselves to read more might be like, I can do it. I can read more. I can do it. I can read more. And to use a mantra to something that you're going to say. And I think we use scripture in that exact same way as a, a, you know, when we know it and we, we, uh, we can say it to ourselves over and over again and, and to pray, to believe it better. You know, I mean, it sounds so goofy, but it's, Truly, the thing that got me through, I think, yeah, uh,
0: in many ways, it's like that verse, "Father, I believe, help my unbelief." Uh, amen. It's that yes. little piece that's like, I'm trying, I want to be here, but there's this little piece I need you to help. And with. I think, mm-hmm. I think even no, I mean, you know,
2: I accepted Christ at nine years old, so I grew up like I said, steeped in church culture, steeped in church, went to a private Baptist college. That doesn't mean that I had more Jesus than someone else, but in some ways there was pressure to know more than I knew, you know, and there was this idea that I was supposed to know the answers when in fact, I didn't have the answers I, but I did know Jesus. And so that, that little, it it wasn't little at all, but it's that little bit of something that really is everything. And I think that we often, um, And I think this is for me true. Um, My brain thinks I need to know. Like I did one time try to memorize all of James chapter one. Um, I wanted to try to memorize it because I know someone who has it memorized and I thought it was the coolest thing. I could not memorize more than five verses without just being like, this is impossible. I'm out, you know, like, (laughs) but um, so I think it's this idea that in my mind, it's memorizing a whole book of the Bible. No, 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 no. It could be two verses that drive, you. And then, and for me, Isaiah 41, 10 has been a verse that absolutely holds me up, you know, and, um, as it pushed me forward to take this the next step and to do the things that God's called me to do.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. I would like to know, tell me your mom and dad's names.
2: Okay. So my mom is Susan or was Susan Martin and my dad was Wayne and, um, they, um, my mom worked at, First Baptist Church in Norman for a good part of her career. Um, she was an assistant at the Family Life Center there, so she wasn't like on the, you know, the main church staff or anything. But she helped run the FLC, our uh, church's, I don't know, activity center. And my dad was a police officer in Norman um, for the Norman Police Department, and then um, became a detective. And then my mom eventually. Um, Went and worked at the University of Oklahoma, um, and she was uh, worked for one of the presidents in his office at the university. I don't know. So she, uh, but my mom, you know, really, my mom and dad both were just such amazing um, people. And you know, there were two thousand people at our church that day when we when we had their funeral, and wow. people were down in the basement watching it on TVs because it was full. Um, so mm-hmm. it just they were active members of the community. and um, mm-hmm. if I could be half of, you know, my mom, I would be
0: <laughs> it would be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing all this. I know that's very difficult and it's it's you'd said earlier that this is like the month of the 20 years.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, well, and I'm
0: happy to share,
2: I think. I think in some ways we're really called to tell our stories and to understand that, you know, um, what, what I'm walking through or what I've walked through can hopefully help someone else. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I certainly don't profess to have all the answers, but I definitely would say, you know, take your kids to church.
0: Well, we think this, I think this is a great tribute to your mom and dad. Yes. And I thank you so much for sharing it with so. us. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so
1: much. Listeners, we're so glad that you were here today. And we're so grateful to Elizabeth. Something that I have never thought about before that is really impacting and so good is the analogy of the tightrope and how... Elizabeth shared that that was something God used in her life keep your hands up, keep a heart of praise don't carry those weights of idols, put them down so you can see where you're stepping and then fix your eyes on that next step don't try to look too far ahead, I just thought that was just filled with wisdom the whole story of the tightrope and how it really does apply to every single one of us I I loved it Also, Elizabeth wanted all of us to know the name of the song that was so helpful to her that she had on repeat morning after morning for weeks and months. And that song is called Be Loved by Christy Knuckles. So look it up and listen to it today.
0: And I really thought that it was impactful that it is a choice to walk for with a grateful heart with everything she, that she went through that she had to choose every day to be to have a grateful heart um also if you're going through a stage of grief it could be a death it could be the grief of anything that you're losing grief is a spiral staircase it is not a checklist of the five steps it is fluid and it comes and it goes and you pass through different stages at different times so that's just something to be expected and make sure you, you needing to go to therapy that you walk through that with somebody also remember to rate review subscribe share on social media Um, it really does help other people to find us when you um, subscribe when you rate it so please do that and we will see you back we actually we have some special things coming up for you this summer that are a little bit different that we're excited about so starting in two weeks we will have a different kind of um podcast for you for the summer It's going to be fine. We're just going to leave it hanging
1: for you and let you anticipate what they need. So we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.